Shame in the am on a Monday morning. Those of you who know me and have been listen- regular listeners of this show over the years, uh, you can only imagine how uh, happy I am to welcome into our studio the Chancellor Emeritus of Oratora Stone. But for me, in addition to all the titles that he has, uh, to me he is a, a beloved Rebbe who I am uh, indebted to for so much, uh, so much that I've been able to do in my life and so much that goes on here at this network. And it is really, truly an honor to have him in studio. By the way, you can watch all of this, this entire encounter, on Facebook Live. Go to facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Riskin, the Chancellor Emeritus of Oratora Stone, into our studio. Rabbi Riskin, Boker Tov, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Boker Or, it's truly, truly a pleasure to be with you, Nahum. I am so happy. I'm so happy you're here. You, you make the effort. There are so many people who would feel that a phone call would suffice, especially in advance of tomorrow night's celebration, but you make the effort to come here to speak with this audience face-to-face, so to speak, and to and to spend some time with us, and it's much appreciated. It's worth, more than worthwhile to be with you for a while. I appreciate that, and I'm also, as I said to you off the air, I am, uh, I am one who marvels at your energy, and I've been, as I mentioned to you, at some of your significant milestone birthdays, so I have somewhat of an idea of of how many years you've already celebrated, and it is remarkable. And the rumor about you, and I don't think a rumor would be the right word. I think it was a fact, and it might still be a fact. You'll tell us in Efrat, and 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 we'll go through Ariskin's history for those of you who are not familiar uh, in a minute. But uh, he is, of course, the chief rabbi of Efrat, and in Efrat, as the community has expanded, and now you're in the tens and tens of thousands of people in large neighborhoods and areas that were that were nothing even after even years after you started. And now they are populated by so many families. The rumor was that you actually tried your hardest to be at every simcha that took place on Shabbos and Efrat. And I don't know if that's physically possible anymore with the expansion of the community. But are you still able to make it to many of the smachot, to many of the occasions in town? I attempt to be at everybody's bar mitzvah, Baruch Hashem. I meet with every bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. And I attempt to, to come for Shabbat. I used to always do it completely, but now there are nine hills wow. <laughs> comprising the municipality of Efrat, soon to be a city, a major city, the major Zionist city in Yehuda B'Shomron. Yep. And I must admit, I go until Zayit Ranan, which is... Uh, That's far. <laughs> about an hour walk from my house. Wow. Until then, I could make it. If it's more than that, I find that for the rest of the Shabbat, I'm out of out of service. So I, I have and there's still a whole Shabbos afternoon to talk about. So uh, I can't do everything, but I do as many as I can. It's absolutely amazing. And, uh, and for those who don't realize it, because now they visit Efrat and see what it's like. You once stood uh, in front of one of those hills of Efrat where all it was was a hill. And it was your vision, with the help of, of great partners, philanthropists, etc., to build a city. It was your it was your vision to build in in Hare Yehuda uh, a, a, a Jewish town, so to speak. And and all these years later, any any young person or those who just don't remember the history who visited Efrat, you know, would never believe that there was nothing there at one time. I prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because I was so excited at Komedinat Yisrael 
And I wanted to be a chalutz again and to have the, the possibility of starting something. The idea of a frat was not mine. Mm. It was a magnificent person named Moshe Moshkovitz who's still active, still around in his 90s. And I came into the picture when Golda Meir, after the Yom Kippur War, came to see what we had held on to after the attack of the Six-Day War. And we won land that we always believed should be ours. They did not accept dividing the, the area, which was what the United Nations wanted to do, to give about 80% to the Palestinians and 20% to the Jews. We accepted it. They did not. They started what became initially the War of Independence, and after we won that, they were not satisfied anymore, and they went further and started the Six-Day War. Mm -hmm. And after the Yom Kippur War, we held on to everything that we miraculously won in the Six-Day War. And I was dreaming of being involved somehow to be able to have a little piece of the reestablishment of the State of Israel. And Golda Meir came and looked at the empty topography. And it's really beautiful. Hills and valleys and mountains and verdant green. Really beautiful. Magnificent. Sunrises and sunsets like you see no place else. And Golda Meir always wanted... Olim to come to Israel not because they were running away but because they wanted to contribute mm -hmm. and people with education and money etc and she took a look at the topography of a, of a frat and she said you know this is the Zurich of Medinat Yisrael I like to think that Zurich is the Efrat of Europe. <laughs> it depends what your frame of reference is. When but, you meet the Swiss, you tell them that. <laughs> right. But that's what she said. And uh, I said, it is truly magnificent. And Golda Meir said to Mushko, whose idea was Efrat, first of all, that was the spot right. of the biblical Efrat, the burial place for Rachel Imenu. Mm -hmm. And of course, with all of the, the Midrashic, Vishavu Vanim, Ligvulam, that God promised Rachel Imenu. So I was very excited about that, of course. And Mushko had the vision of a city of Ephrat because it's 250 meters above Yerushalayim. So it is truly protective of Yerushalayim. And Golda Meir on the spot said, if there will be 75 families from South Africa and 75 families from North America, America, United States, that would put down $1,500 for a home in a frat, down payment, she will make sure that we get the go-ahead to begin to build the city. Mushko then looked at me, because he didn't know English. Right. South Africa and New York, you had to know English. <laughs> and he knew that I had a synagogue in New York at that time. 
And he said, be my partner. You have to get the families. We'll build the city together. And that, that's what did it. Unbelievable. And Baruch Hashem, we got 75 families from South Africa and over 140 families from America. And we went to work. And I remind everybody that at that time, you had a very successful Lincoln Square Synagogue on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, very successful high school that I had the pleasure of being part of, had already made your mark in the world of Jewish education, loved and still do, but loved teaching, especially in English to Americans. Now I'm sure it's a mixed bag, right, Hebrew and English. All this was going on in your life when Mushko turns to you and says, let's build this. And I jumped at it. I did really did your wife jump at it as well? Even more than I. Nashim Mechabavot at Ta'aretz. The women love it even more than we do. That's exactly what the Kliyakar says. Correct, that's the Kliyakar and Shlach, right. That's the Kliyakar. And because of Benot Shlachai. Right. And that's really true. There was a time when I was... I didn't have a job yet, actually, in Israel. I came every summer. And I wanted the kibbutz, very much right? to live. Yeah, right. kibbutz ain't Right, live. I remember. And I came every summer. But, uh, and I worked in the refet. Right. I milked. For chicken coop, everybody. That's the chicken coop. <laughs> it was very, very nice. It was very nice. And I really loved it. Uh, and I had a good, good time to learn to teach, and I taught at the kibbutz. But I dreamt of living in a frat. And it was hard for me to get a job. But what Mushko said was very, very wonderful. Mushko said to me, get the families. Let's dream together. I can't promise you a job. But I can only tell you that if we succeed, and the frat will be a flourishing community, it's very natural he said about himself mm-hmm. that he would be the Rosh Hamoitza, the right. head of the municipality, the mayor, and I would be the Rav of the, of right. the city. And that's what happened. Right. That's exactly what happened. Now, being from a family that was led by a full-time pulpit rabbi, I would, I might argue, I'm referring to myself, of course, I might argue that that in and of itself would be a pretty hefty full-time job, being the chief rabbi of what eventually would become Efrat. But for you, that was not satisfactory for you a large educational component had to be included well the educational component built a frat the schools the schools built a frat I had to get people to come right and I never looked at things as they were I always looked at things as they are going to become Ezrat Hashem Yitbarah But for them, in order to attract really good people, there had to be an educational system in place. So, of course, the first building in Efrat was a mikveh, as the halacha asks for. And the mikveh was mechunacht, consecrated, by Eliza Begin. Wow. And she said, Menachem Begin was the one who really saved everything at the last moment for a, for the laying of the cornerstone of Efrat. That's another story. But Menachem Begin told me that he and Eliza, when they got married, promised each other, Shabbat, Yom Tov, Kashrut, and Tarat HaMishpacha. 
And she never refused dedicating a mikvah. And then we built the first Torah school right. in Israel, Nevei Shmuel, our high school, because that was very, very important. And when people saw we had a going high school, they believed that everything will happen. So it was actually the schools, and then came the Upana, and then more schools, and Baruch Hashem, the rabbinical schools, mm-hmm. etc. But <laughs> and there's more coming, I'm sure. <laughs> but it was the schools that started everything. And by the way, everybody, that's one of the reasons Rabbi Riskin is here. Tomorrow night we get an opportunity to support the schools and support the incredible Art Torah Stone. Uh, tomorrow night is the annual dinner and the Hachnasat Sefer Torah in honor of Rabbi Riskin, celebrating his uh, uh, his uh, tenure at Art Torah Stone and the fact that he is now the Chancellor Emeritus of Art Torah Stone. It's happening tomorrow night at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. I will be there. I'm encouraging all of you to come and participate in this unique event. You can contact the Art Torah Stone office at ots.org.il, ots.org.il, or by dialing 212 212- Nine three five eight six seven two two one two nine three five eight six seven two. And now you're Chancellor Emeritus, and I must must point out to you, not that this is going to be any news to you. Um, you know, transitions are difficult. Memale uh, makom, or whatever word you want to use, uh, you know, the the one who eventually will be seen as the leader of the organization. It's always difficult to to make that choice and put that in place. I believe that you made an amazing choice with her by Dr. Kenneth Brander. Now, it's somebody who you and I, in different capacities, know for a long, long time, and anybody who knows this show knows that he is beloved here. Um, nonetheless, not every match is always a perfect match. In this case, I think you've chosen, not that you need my approbation, but I think you've chosen very wisely in terms of bringing in Rabbi Brander. You are so very correct. Actually, I go all the way back right. with Rabbi Brander, he was my assistant rabbi in the beginning of Lincoln Square Synagogue. Right. And he went on to Boca Raton to create a marvelous community with wonderful yeshiva schools, high school for boys and a high school for girls. So he's really a creator. Hashkafically, we're very much in sync. Both of us were very close to Rabbi Soloveitchik. He was the shamash of Rabbi right. Soloveitchik at the end of Rabbi Soloveitchik's life. So he's been a perfect fit, Baruch Hashem. And I realized when I reached 70, 10 years ago, the most important thing for me to do is to find the right Mamale Makom, the right successor. And he's proving himself to be even greater than my expectations had hoped for. So it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. It really calls for a celebration uh, for multiple reasons. Um you know, we've. I, I wonder if it's accurate to say that your role as a Jewish leader has had, how do I put this, transformations? And I'll tell you what I have in mind. I'll tell you what I have in mind. Uh, th- there's no doubt that toward the beginning of your tenure in Efrat, uh, you would have preferred to have had as close and friendly relationships with your neighbors in cities surrounding Efrat, and I'm referring, of course, to Arab cities, you would have preferred to have a, a, as as peaceful a coexistence with your neighbors as possible. Would that be accurate? Not only that, but we still have. We still have. Because the impression is that it became more difficult as the years went by. Yes and no. If you're talking about 
with the Palestinians themselves, the Sid people who live there, it didn't become more difficult. Really? They're wonderful. We still have very close relations. Look, I'll tell you with all my heart, my guide is the Torah. The Torah has proven itself with every single prophecy. The most difficult of all the prophecies to continue to believe in, even if you're scattered to the ends of the earth, from there will God take you and bring you back. I mean, that's a magnificent promise made 4,000 years ago in our Torah Kedoshah in Devarim Periklamet. And there has never been a nation, a group of people living in a specific place for more than 100 years that were chased off of it and came back to it. We were away from our homeland for 2,000 years. It sounds like the impossible promise, the impossible dream, mm -hmm. and we've come back. So that from my perspective, anything and everything is possible. In the beginning, I was angry at Orthodox Jews who didn't return to Israel because I felt that... Uh, How do they is, not get it? How do they not understand? This, this is their chance. Right. This is their opportunity. And when the Torah promises that God promises he's going to bring us back, he said it will start when you will return to your hearts and come back to the land of Israel. That's how it's going to start. Mm -hmm. So I would certainly have expected every Jew to return, every Orthodox Jew, after all, Any believing Jew. The mitzvah to say in the Torah, it's That's what the Torah demands of us. And Baruch Hashem, they didn't come. I got angry. Now I'm not angry. I just feel sorry for them. I think it's better for us if you're angry. <laughs> they're missing it. They're missing it. They're really missing we it. We certainly are. And I'll tell you, I, I, I love every Jew. And I love the Haredi Jews. I love to speak Yiddish. And I love to meet a Haredi Jew and talk to him in Yiddish. But if he... If he's against Eretz Yisrael, if he doesn't say Hallel and Yom Atzmaut, he's just not religious in my book. Just not religious. Missing God in history. And that's the worst sin I can imagine. So the Torah also tells us that Yishmael and Yitzchak will come together at the end. Right. They both buried their father, Avraham Avinu, and Yishmael did tshuva. And the nation Yishmael will do tshuva. And Yishkon, they will dwell side by side. So I'm sure there's going to be peace. 
and I worked from day one on peace. Now, I used to walk through the streets of Efrat, like I, the, the streets of Wadi Nis and Jortashama, like I walked the streets of Efrat. That's not possible anymore. Because of Hamas, right. the situation changed because of the Hamas leadership that has taken over, terrorist leadership that has taken over. But as far as the relationship with Palestinians themselves are concerned, it's even closer than before. And as I said, I believe the Torah says, Yishmael will do tshuva, they will do tshuva. If we live to see what we we're seeing now with Medinat Yisrael, we'll live to see that piece as well. Rabbi Shlomo Ruskin is here. Tomorrow night we celebrate with our Torah Stone at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. You can contact them at 212-935-8672. Um, was the most painful time for you in Israel, N- I'm speaking nationally, of course, right now, not uh, not personal, uh, in terms of on the national basis, was it 2005? Was it the disengagement and watching what the Israeli government was doing during that summer? Gush Katif. Yeah. I rented a home in Gush Katif. I, w- I was there for that summer. Way before the middle of August when they actually left? Well, I knew there was going to be a problem. It looked very strongly what would happen. And I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there, first of all, to demonstrate. But second of all, to do whatever it was in my power to do, that despite the fact that I think that the greatest blotch on the escutcheon of Medinat Yisrael was giving up on Gush Katif and sending away, putting back into exile Jewish people. Nevertheless, I went there as well first to demonstrate to keep Gush Katif, but secondly then, if that didn't work, to do everything in my power that no Jew would lift a hand against the IDF. Because that we dare not do. Civil war dare not occur. We lost by Cheney because there was civil war in Israel. And Baruch Hashem, we demonstrated, but after we saw that it was too late, it was a great Kiddush Hashem how the Jews left Gush Katif. And that Kiddush Hashem, the manner in which they left, with all the respect for Tzahal, for Tzavah Haganah Yisrael, and the government of Medinat Yisrael, it made me feel very proud as well. So you were only half depressed that summer. <laughs> half of you was proud of That's the way right. things were handled. Because I think that the collective Jewish world, even outside of Israel, those who really care and those who are focused on Israel on a daily basis, I feel that collectively we hit a terrible low during that summer. Everybody who hit a low during that summer, in order to get out of the low, come to live in Israel. Yeah. Uh, Rabbi Riskin is here in studio, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. So what do you think of us? What do you think of American Jury, who all these years later uh, have not decided to go, who always wondered... Can one make a living in Israel? And now the best jobs in the world 
are in Israel, who wondered if Israel will ever be independent from support from American Jewry, and we see that they are almost completely independent. I think you could really speak to that point on the front lines uh, from American Jewry at this point. Uh, I, I, I think American Jews, to an extent, feel very slighted that Israeli Jews really don't need us anymore at this point. With all that in mind, then, what do you think of of us back here as a community? I love you. <laughs> all of my life. That's all, that's all you have to say? <laughs> all of my life, that has been my teaching. I, I, I love all Jews, religious and non-religious. Those who don't come back to where it's Israel are not so religious. But I love you. I love you, and I never give up on you. Lincoln Square Synagogue was, I think, the first real outreach synagogue. And that's what we do. Right. They call us Chabad in Brooks Brothers suits. <laughs> we send rabbis all over the world to love Jews and to teach Jews the Torah. Yeah, as much as you want diaspora love. Jews to come to Israel, you're helping build diaspora communities. Isn't that ironic? I'm helping just to teach Jews to do what's right. And I believe if they really know, learn to do what's right, they'll come to Israel. And what's interesting is that people here, I mean, look, the United States is the United States, and this audience is quite familiar with it. People don't realize where you have emissaries. We use the Chabad term. They don't realize that there are, you know, pretty active Jewish communities in places like, you know, name it, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Poland, now. Poland, and you have people there, or Torah graduates who are leaders there now. In Africa, the Abiyudaya, we have three communities in Africa, native Africans. You don't mean South Africa. I mean Africa, Africa. We've converted a few hundred of them. And it's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. It's a story that has to be told, actually. About 115 years ago, when England did its colonialization, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, they came into England and they went to Uganda. And the governor who was appointed to take care of the blacks from Uganda was named Kakangulu. He was a marvelous, marvelous warrior and he was a fine intellectual. And when the Brits came, the African natives, very smart people, immediately learned English. The missionaries came, and they supplied everybody with an Old Testament, mm -hmm. the, the five books of Moses, our Torah, Kedusha, mm -hmm. and the Gospels. When the British left, they put in charge in Uganda this Kakangulu. I said he was an intellectual. He read the five books of Moses. He was hypnotized. He said, this is God's word. He got very, very excited. Avram Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Brit Sinai, Brit Bein Abitarim first. He got very, very excited. He read the Gospels, and he thought, there's something wrong. Because in the Gospels themselves, Yeshua had a pidyon ben and a brit milah. Sounds like he's Jewish. Ain't kosher. <laughs> Shabbat, not Sunday. Pesach, not Easter. So he decided that he 
and his people, his Africans, have to become Jewish. This is in the country of? Uganda. In Uganda. Africa. Right. In Uganda. Now, he had never seen a Jew, but he was very, very intelligent, and he knew that there were Jews in South Africa. He knew there were Jews in New York and in Yerushalayim. It's like a Kuzari story. He sent out three letters to the rabbis of Jerusalem, to the rabbis of Johannesburg, to the rabbis of... New York? New York. Please send me a Jewish rabbi who has a calendar, because we have no calendar, and I know he knew how important the calendar was to keep Judaism, and will teach us how to live as Jews because I want myself and my people to live as Jews. He included a little map exactly where he was in, in Uganda. And about nine months later, there appeared this mythical kind of personality named Yosef with calendars, teaching everybody, and they call themselves Abba Yudaya, Abba Yehuda, and they began living the, as much of Jewish lives as they had learned from him, Shabbat, Yom Tov, even Tarat HaMishbacha, and it, it was absolutely amazing. Then, of course, Idi Amin came in, right. and everybody was pushed underground, and then I received, it was about 10 or 11 years ago, I got a letter from Uganda signed by two people, Moshe and Tarfon. Names, <laughs> Moshe and Tarfon. <laughs> I remember it by heart. Dear Rabbi Riskin, we've been reading your article in the Jerusalem Post for the last number of years. We've translated two years of your articles into Swahili, and we have regular shiurim on them because we're learning, we're trying to learn Torah as best as we can. We very much would love to come to your yeshiva. Wow. <laughs> um, if you happen to be a ritual slaughterer, and you're coming to test us if we can enter your yeshiva, right. please bring your slaughtering knife <laughs> because we haven't tasted meat or chicken since we were born. Love, Moshe and Tarfon. P.S. We hear you're a nice man. We don't even have airfare. I was very excited. I always took, take one of my grandchildren on a little trip for the, right before the Bar Mitzvah. And I had a very precocious grandson who learned Shita because that was one avoda where all Kohanim. Right. And his Bar Mitzvah was Parashat Amar, which is also my Bar Mitzvah, etc. And uh, he wanted to do learn that avoda. Today he's a vegetarian, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be there quite... But that, that, that's, that was what he learned. <laughs> and I decided to take him 
with Ari Greenspan, who's a shochet. To Uganda, yeah, we know Ari well. To Uganda, he went. To, he's open to all of these right. kind of trips. So you well. took your grandson and Ari, and you flew to Uganda. And we flew to Uganda. First Nairobi, they had invited us for a long time, so I, I came to to Nairobi first, and then Uganda, and we have now three communities. With a mikvah, with an Eruv, each one of them, with the Ari Yeshiva Machanaim or Torah Stone. I'm, I'm uh, Chancellor Emeritus, but I'm still one of the Rosh Yeshiva Baruch Hashem, and I'm still very much involved in teaching and writing, and uh, it's it's marvelous. You know, there are people, uh, there are people in rabbinic positions who do not encourage people of of unusual backgrounds to become Jews. I've always admired the fact that if someone wants to make a commitment to be part of our people, that you and many in Israel, but some around the world as well, certainly welcome them. And I think it's, I think we could, using the Torah as our guide, I think we are obligated to welcome them. Exactly. Just like I have no real respect for Jews who call themselves religious, but don't say Hallel on Yom Atzmo, I have no real respect for anyone who apparently never studied Sefer Rut, Megillah Rut, and the 36 times that variations of the theme of the Ahavta Metager is discussed within the Torah, and Emunot Videot very clearly says that the mitzvah of the Ahavta Metager begins when a person is showing some interest in Yiddishkeit. And the Gemara in Brachot, Yonvav, Rav Shimon ben Elazar, that kulam yitgairu bimota Mashiach. We are very close to bimota Mashiach. We have Medinat Yisrael. Isn't that one of the greatest signs? Kulam yitgairu. And the Rambam and Hilchot Melachim paskins that. Kulam yachzeru the true religion for the Rambam was Judaism. Kulam yitgairu yachzeru So they don't understand halacha, unfortunately, if they're anti. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin is here tomorrow night, the annual dinner for our Torah Stone, the Hachnasa Sefer Torah, in honor of Rabbi Riskin. We're encouraging everybody to be at the museum of Jewish heritage. You can still place a reservation by dialing 212-935-8672 or going to the web at ots.org.il, ots.org.il. As the, as the clock continues to move, because there's never enough time when you're here, uh, there's another couple of questions I need to ask, and then we're going to get to some quotes of yours that I like using. Uh, on the question, um, there are those... Let me ask it this way. Uh, how do you feel knowing that there are religious Christians in the U.S. but other places as well who are more, for whom Israel is more beloved than some members of the Jewish community. It puts the Jewish community to shame. And that happens to be exactly the case. I love the evangelicals. They're good Zionists. We have, they're wonderful Zionists. One of my good friends, really good friends, has become Pastor Hagee. San Antonio, Texas. He has a ministry of millions. And he is one of the greatest Ohave Israel lovers of Israel in the world that 
I've ever made. And takes takes great criticism for it from many. For those of you who think that, you know, that he's doing it without criticism or without, you know, being targeted by certain people. Everybody is criticized. <laughs> if I was uh, if I if I was frightened of criticism, I would never open my mouth. I wear it as a badge of honor and pride. And and really there are many many Christians who are very very supportive of Israel. And Pastor Hagee was instrumental in President Trump, who I believe is a gift Jewish people, when President Trump said what he said in terms of uh, Jerusalem being the capital of Israel, in terms of the West Bank, it wasn't President Trump, it was the, the American State Department right. even, even by President even Trump, a bigger cons- which is even a bigger coup de right. exactly. Uh, to a great extent, Pastor Hagee was influential in those decisions. Yeah, we should be careful because there are many people in the Jewish community who think it was done for them. We should keep in mind that it was some of the great Zionists who happened to be from the non-Jewish community that likely had great influence on the president to make Precisely that decision. Precisely so. Precisely yeah. so. A couple of quotes that I always use of yours. There are a couple of quotes of yours that I, that I don't want to use in this in this forum because some of them are really, uh, you know, accurate. They accurately target segments of our community that sometimes need a wake-up call. But I'm going to avoid those for today and go to these. Up to you. It is, I know it's up to me, and I, I'm going to use my discretion. Uh, you've, dis, you, you've, you've encouraged us not to use Israel as Disneyland, but to treat it as our motherland, because, in fact, that's what it is. And this was a, a result of all the discussions we've had during the times when people stopped visiting Israel. It's one thing that you're speaking to some people today who've never moved to Israel. There are people who actually canceled trips to Israel because of certain situations. But it was dangerous. And that's what I would always say. It's not Disneyland. You go if the weather is nice. You don't go if the weather is not so nice. It's not Disneyland. It's motherland. And you visit your mother, especially when she's not feeling well. Or during dangerous times. during dangerous times. Um, and I think that's important to point out because, again, even we as tourists and visitors can also make a statement when we don't cancel trips and when we don't allow circumstances to prevent us from I'll going. I'll tell you what I don't understand, and, and that's you, you hit it right on the head. I don't understand people traveling long distances, Pesach, Sukkot, and not to Israel. If you're getting on a plane already for one of the major chagim. And paying for your whole family. And paying for the whole family, exactly. And when, after all, we are talking about times when the Jews would always be all the regal wherever they lived in the world. Don't go to Cairo. There are people who go to Egypt for (laughs) that may be an exaggeration, but you get my point. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Come to Israel, and if you can afford a second home, make it in Israel. Right. And there's a quote of yours I use so often, and I hope I've gotten it right over the years. And I'm so curious about your comment now that you know the years continue to move on. You said to me once, I think it was on the air. You said, I stopped fearing death when I had my first grandchild. 
And I think about this often, having just married off our first kid and not having parents anymore. Life is much I, I tell people who have lost both parents that it is very different having lost one parent and having lost both. It is a completely different experience. You're a yatom. Even right. if you're a grandparent, Correct. you're a yatom. You're an orphan, no matter what. In fact, someone, when I walked into a shiva call in the mid-'80s, who had lo- and you know this person, they had lost their, uh, their second parent, and he turned to me and said, I'm an orphan. And I, and I so- somewhat minimized what he said. After I lost my mother, I called him to apologize. This is in 2015, many years later. I called him to apologize because now I understood what he meant, and it's much different. But you said I stopped fearing death when I had my first grandchild. Is that, is that, am I quoting you accurately? Very accurately. There's a little... It's <laughs> a little... A, little, uh, a nuance? Back. Yeah, the one nuance. It was the Leila Seder. I, my family was one which tried to shield us from death. Mm. And, for example, I was very close to my grandparents. My grandmother was my greatest influence. Right. My, You've you know, written about her. You're Havrusa for a while. And taught me Gemara. Yeah. My first Gemara Rebbe. Was well, your grandmother? Was my grandmother. That's where my feminism comes from. Mm-hmm. So, I, I always felt very strongly about that. But, like for example, my grandfather died. I was ten years old, and I was very close to them. I never heard about it. You were never told. I was never told. I was never taken to the cemetery. During the shiva, my parents told me, and I made a shiva call. Obviously, I was ten years old, right. but. They never told me about the death. They felt the cemeteries, you had to shield your children from them. And it did the opposite. It caused me, as, as you said correctly, to fear death. And the first time that We I, should note you spend very little time on cemeteries because you're a coin. Right. But as a, as a cut-on, would you have gone? To, to be honest, I don't know how it works. I'm not a co-aid. So I don't know how it works. No, but. What I probably would have, what I, what I would have done, because subsequently I did go to right. the family, it's in Washington Cemetery, that our family had the plots in Brooklyn, and I would stand outside right. the fence. Right. And then later as a rabbi, I've had to right. work that, that out all the time. Mm-hmm. And it always works. It right. always works. So they shielded you and and had the opposite effect. I saw, and then my oldest grandson, Yosef, he was three years old. He was at the Seder. He said the Manishtana. Mm -hmm. I was watching him. I was completely fixated on him. And I said to my wife, you know, Yos is just like me. And my wife, who is scrupulously honest and says whatever she thinks, she says, well... You have no neck, and he has no neck. <laughs> Maybe that's the similarity that you see. <laughs> because you you had meant, however. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but uh, I really felt, in his way, in what he was, and I really felt the continuity, mm-hmm. very, very deeply and profoundly. And that's Yaakov Lomet, Mazaro B'chaim and now God has been so wonderful to me. I have four great grandchildren, well, in your which book. I never dreamt would ever happen. And that's the continuity of the Binyana Dayad, which is still my favorite bracha under the chuppah. Asher yatzar et ha'adam b'tzalmo b'tzalam b'mut tavnito 
God gave us the opportunity to have a building forever of children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. It's wonderful. And now, with the with all the years going by, you get to look back on an incredible number of decades, experiences, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. There is some, even though older age, I am sure, I wouldn't know, of course, but older age has its drawbacks. It must be an amazing feeling being able to look back like that. It is magnificent, filled with hakaratato. And the bracha which I make, I think, with with most kavana every morning, is Baruch Ato Hashem HaMechin Mitzadego. I really believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has prepared my steps in a marvelous, marvelous way. And I'm very grateful. I've been able to live a life of Torah. And there's nothing better and nothing more important and nothing that gives more light. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful process. And to see Talmudim, and Talmudim are also children, yeah. in a very deep way. You have a lot of children. And to see that development in Baruch Hashem, generation of Rabbanim too and Machanchim too, has been a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Two quick things, and I know we have to wrap up. Um, we can't be together, you and I now during this first year and not mention Sherwood. And you have to tell this audience why Chazen Goffin was such an effective partner for you, first at Lincoln Square Synagogue and really throughout your entire career. Chazen Goffin was really like my brother. We were extremely close. It began with Yeshiva University seminars. Hmm. And we had become a team before I, I had smicha, I was still studying for smicha. And they would send us out all over the world. Well, not all over the world, all over America. Right. To many places within the United States. NCSY, mm-hmm. Akiva. And we were a two-man team. I, unfortunately, can't <laughs> sing enough. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm very grateful to our British Baruch that I have a wonderful son, Yoni, who's with me in our Torah Stone, and really very special. And he can hold the tune. No, no he's about Tefillah. Oh, even better. Baruch he's Hashem. about Tefillah. Wherever I am in the world, the first day Rosh Hashanah, I have to listen to him. Baruch Hashem. He's about Tefillah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I'm laughing only because this has been a a joke among your Talmidim for decades, as you know. That you know, And when you did that duet with Sherwood, which was, you know, you remember the duet I'm referring to. In a, what do you mean? Asukala. Asukala, you remember. What do you mean? It was by the time I really came out of my debut. Correct. When you did that debut, we, we were sort of like. Fantastic. We were sort of like. It was in Lincoln Center. Correct. It was magnificent. Alice Could you Tully imagine Hall. that I was at Alice Tully Hall <laughs> singing with Sherwood Goffin my and, favorite year song, Asukala? And your Talmudim are sitting there saying, you know what? He almost got it. He almost did a pretty good job. <laughs> It was, just, it was wonderful. It was really he wonderful. was so great that I didn't even mess him up. <laughs> so, you know, it was, but we were really very, very, very close. And I knew very, very well 
that, you know, the Torah is called the Torah, and the Torah is also called a shir, Parshat Vayelech, right. song, shira. Right. Halacha, which is sechel, higayon, brain, intelligence, and shira, which is song, heart, emotion. Mm-hmm. And the two are critical critical. Shuwan understood that very strongly and therefore he sang beautifully, beautifully and beautiful Nigunim and who had to fit the Nigunim into the Nusach of the Tefillah because the Nusach of the Tefillah is first and foremost. That was and anyone Skarbava. Who knew, anyone who knew him that was knew him. that was his first rule. And, and I loved him and we were very close and he would sing, and I would speak. And I planned to go into Galach. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a Rosh Hashiva always. I wanted to teach Torah. I didn't think of the pulpit rabbinate. And he was studying to be a psychologist. And we used to joke after every seminar, and he would say to me, but if you decide to take a shul, just call me. So when Lincoln Square Synagogue worked out, and it was about Shuva Shul, and it was clear to me that I couldn't do it without him, that I needed someone with a song, with a neshama, with a spirit. With... So they said to me, I didn't take any money in the beginning because there was no mechitza. When the mechitza came in, Baruch Hashem, which was pretty soon after I came, right. the mechitza came in, so they wanted to give me $10,000. I was teaching at Yeshiva. I was making $4,200 a year. I thought I was a real gvir. <laughs> I was just married. I had my first child. I was very excited about that kind of salary. Uh, they said to me, listen, now you can take a salary from us. So that's wonderful. We'll give you $10,000 and give up Yeshiva University. I said, no, no, no. I want to continue teaching at Yeshiva University. I love to teach. I want you to give $5,000 of the $10,000 you want to give me to share with Gothic. Because there must be a chazan with me. Otherwise, I can't be the rabbi. You've had this remarkable ability to surround yourself with... You you choose people really well. And there's a list of them, including Rabbi Brander, who we spoke about, who I could cite, that during your career were really essential partners for you. Uh, in all of this, and that's uh, it's a wonderful talent to have, and also it's a good talent to have to be able to defer to somebody to let them use their expertise to help you accomplish it's your goal. It's crucial. No one alone can ever do it. Right. You know, I'll tell you, there's a marvelous Gemara, a, mar- a marvelous Gemara in Brachos. Shlosha chalamot emete. Omer Rabbi Yochanan. There are three true dreams. Shalosh chalomot emete. Chalom shel shachar. Chalom im pitaron betocha chalom. And chalom shanashim achedim gam chomim oto chalom. A dream of shachar, of mourning. M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Which I believe means two things. First of all, 
to dream when you wake up. If you only dream when you sleep, nothing happens to those dreams. <laughs> but if you continue to dream when you're awake, then there's a chance something is going to happen. The second thing is a chalom of Geula, Shachar, stands for redemption. The morning star. Geula, Shachar. The morning star. And if it's a dream of Geula that you dream, that's also HaKadosh Baruch Hu's dream. So if you're dreaming a dream that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is dreaming, you have a very good chance at success. There has to be a way to get there. So you have to have a certain... Mahalach. Yeah. Modus operandi. Mm -hmm. You have to have a modus operandi. For me, it was teaching Torah. That's the way to change people. That's the way to get there. And the third thing really is it has to be other people who share the dream. And without those people, it also never happens. And I've been very fortunate in my life that I've been able to do all three things with the right people, the very special people. I've tried to dream HaKadosh Baruch Hu's dream. And Baruch Hashem, it's been a very wonderful life in Torah. And thousands and thousands of us have become beneficiaries of those dreams. And you've really taught us how to dream also, so many of your Talmidim, and I appreciate that very much. And I thank you, and I wish you Mazal Tov, and I cannot thank you enough for being here today to to kick off this Manhattan celebration that's going to continue tomorrow night. <laughs> well. It's a pleasure to see you, really. Thank you so much. I give Yigal my best. Oh, well. I certainly will. I encourage everyone to be there tomorrow night, the annual dinner of our Torah Stone, the Achnasat Sefer Torah, in honor of the Chancellor Emeritus, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin. It happens at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. You can call them now at 212-935-8672, 212-935-8672, or log on at ots.org.il, ots.org.il. And, of course, my thanks to Rabbi Shlomo Ruskin. Now, those of you who want to see the video and the conversation, facebook.com slash Nachum Siegel Network. Achenu Israel and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and NachumSiegel.com on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app.